You're listening to Radio Tab's Mobile Rolling. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. one 800 060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au The first over, Belmont Royale. Then inside it's Hemsworth. B2B sweeping up on the far outside. And Lauren Tritton asking a bit more from Lock and Var Art. Lock and Var Art in front toward the inside. Hemsworth between horses. Belmont Royale. Lock and Var Art desperate. Here comes Hemsworth to take it. Lock and Var Art second. B2B third. And a photo for four. Yeah, that was a race earlier, about an hour ago, with Lock and Var Art sent out at a dollar ten tab fixed before the race uh, found the front a couple of hundred metres after the start and you thought well it'll be times and margins but Hemsworth around an $8 chance uh, got the money there in this part of this Pagata series that was over 1600 at Yonkers Chris Barsby good morning Steve, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. Matt Kakali taking the winning drive there on Hemsworth, a former Queenslander. And you wouldn't believe it, Steve, the former owners of Hemsworth when he raced here in Queensland, Jay Turpin, Pat Carrigan, Katoni Staggs, NRL stars for the Brisbane Broncos and the Sydney Roosters. So he had some big-name ownership when he raced here in Queensland. He was prepared by Chantel Turpin, Pete McMullen, had very good success here. They then sold him to North America and he's still enjoying really good success, and he's taken a big scalp there, running down the Lock and Bar Art. So, where, where would he be rated, uh, Chris, or his, um, you know, when he, when he was sold? I mean, would you have laughed well, at someone if they said he was a young horse when he, beat... he raced here? So yeah. uh, he, he raced uh, with a very good record here. He only had limited starts. Uh, he came across from New Zealand. They purchased him from New Zealand. He's by Sweet Lou out of In Hollywood and in the pocket mare. And uh, he probably would have had a, a really strong winning strike rate when he raced here. He was on the verge of open company before he was then sold to North America. So who knows how far he could have gone here. But uh, they cashed in at that time and thought the uh, the, the money was too good to refuse. And uh, here he is winning a heat of the ball garter. Yeah, there were just some concerning signs with Lock and Vara because Laura Lauren was sort of urging him along a fair way from home after he found the top. Uh, in that race. Anyway, it's a tough series. Let's hope he can bounce back. Not sure where he sits on the points at this stage. That's uh, Lock and Varat, but yeah, interesting story there. Our first guest, Michelle Phillips, is with us now, Chris. Well, great to catch up with Michelle Phillips because she was in the winner's circle here on Saturday night. Not only did she partner Mac Daddy for Donnie and Maureen Smith, but she walked away with the title of the 2023 Australian Female Drivers Championship. The series was run and won here on Saturday night. Six heats for the female drivers, and Michelle came out on top. And she's online with us now. Michelle, congratulations. Hi, guys. Thank you very much. I tell you what, Queensland's a happy hunting ground for you. It was, what, only last year that you are in the winner's circle here, feature race winner's circle with Seb's Choice winning the Redcliffe Cup, and here you are taking home the female drivers' championship now. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I have a pretty good strike rate up in Queensland. I can't, can't knock it, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Now, tell me this, Michelle, that the series almost didn't happen for you. Were you involved in a nasty fall in the week leading up to this series on the weekend? Yeah, um, the Sunday prior, I had a race fall at Oyen. Um Horse was hanging pretty bad and he crossed its legs and fell down and I went flying and uh, got a pretty bad concussion and a bit bruised and banged up. So it was touch and go whether I'd be able to go, seeing how I, I pulled through and, uh, yeah. So how long could you, you know, leave your decision until making whether it was going to happen or not? Was it, you know, last uh, sort of moment type stuff? Well, I 
I had to speak to my doctors because they were pretty adamant that I shouldn't be driving for for a certain amount of time. But I um, was able to convince my doctor before I got discharged that if I wasn't right, I come say maybe Wednesday, Thursday, I probably wouldn't go. Um, but yeah, I was pretty adamant <laughs> from when I had my call okay. that I was still going to go. So yeah. All right. When the fields came out, your first glance at the fields, a lot of unknown horses here that you're sitting behind, but just on paper, did you think you had a good book there of the six races? Um, yeah, I had a good... Uh, once I did my bit of form and I, I looked at looked at the horses and how their performance was, I, I did think I had a bit of a chance, but at the same time, I also had a late scratching and I wasn't in one race, so I always thought oh, it might be a bit tricky. Um to gain more points seeing as I was sitting on the sidelines for two races but um, no I was pretty confident about Mac Daddy and for Donnie, Donnie and Maureen Smith like I met them last year when I came up to the carnival so I was pretty happy to be on one of their horses for them and yeah I was I was confident that I was going to have a good night but to the extent I didn't know. Yeah, I know they were happy when uh, you were drawn to drive Mac Daddy. Uh, they're a fan of your work, so it worked out really well. He was able to lead all the way and prove too strong. But of the six heats, though, six different winners, so there was no sort of dominant driver, but uh, on the score of consistency, you came out on top. So it was obviously very competitive racing there. Yeah, most definitely. Like, obviously, each state picked the best, best uh, that they've got. And, um, yeah, it just proved that, no certain person won all the races and each nearly each individual state uh had a couple of wins so it was good okay well that guarantees you'll be representing victoria again at the next female drivers championship as the defending champion but as we said queensland has been a happy hunting ground are we likely to see you back in queensland anytime soon uh uh not entirely sure whether i'm be coming back up for the carnival um i just i no longer work for john nicholson and i've got my own stable of horses and a full-time job so i'm not sure whether i'll come up this year i have been asked to look after a couple of horses up there but it's just a matter of what i plan to do with my horses at the time so it's a bit up in the air at the moment okay fair enough what is it about albion park that you love driving under the bright lights here well I actually love Redcliffe more than Albion Park. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because you're the cup champion there? Yeah, I think so. That that track holds a pretty special place in my heart. So, yeah. Okay, good stuff. Hey, job well done there on the weekend, taking out the 2023 Australian Female Drivers' Championship. Continued success and we'll be in touch. Thank you very much. There's Michelle Phillips joining us from Victoria, Steve, walking away with that trophy there on Saturday night. But as I said, it was competitive racing, six heats for the female drivers, six different winners. But on the score of consistency, Michelle coming out on top. What's happening with Sure Thing Captain? Well, let's find out. Who have we got on the line? Shannon Price, the trainer of Sure Thing Captain. And there's a few other horses in that camp I want to find out about, but... We'll ask uh, firstly about your thing, Captain. Uh, Shannon, good morning. Good morning, Chris. What is the update with your thing, Captain? He's on holidays. How long for? Uh, he'll be back in on Monday. 
Okay, so that gives you plenty of time to get him ready for the carnival? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got uh, the derbies and that start, the Redcliffe derbies on the end of June, and then he's got July, and then he's off to Melbourne in August for the Nutrien. Then he's got Vic Bread and Victoria Derby down there in September and October, so he's got a lot of racing left. So I thought I'd give him as long as I could now. Yeah, it's a busy season when you start breaking it down like that. Given what he's already gone through and what's to come, it's a, it's a long year. Yeah, it is. It is. That's why I thought if I can give him a good five weeks off now, that'll, that'll help him. Um, as long as I could give him was the five weeks. So he's having that and uh, he won't take long to come up. He's, you know, he's a fairly fit sort of a horse like that. So he'll come to hand pretty quick. How did you find, uh, or how did you think he handled the Sydney campaign? Oh, to start off with, everything was fantastic. And then uh, at his second run, everything went downhill after that. He just, uh, everything that could possibly go wrong with him went wrong with him. And finally on the last night, I had him back to where I thought he was back to his best, but he threw in a new uh, a, a trick into the, the hat and that was to um, decide he wanted to lock on one rein and wouldn't steer. Um, he was hanging all over the horse on the inside of him and I'd changed his bit and he trialled and worked in that and I took the lugging bit off him put just a snaffle bit on him and no, he just <laughs> he wouldn't steer so it cost him third spot. But otherwise, yeah, it, it, yeah, everything that went wrong went wrong. So. Mm. so what would have caused him to hang like that, Shannon? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. He just thought... Um, he, he, he does like the sort of... Um, you know, like as I said, he's always had a lugging bit on. He can sort of you know, hold a rein, but he just decided that was a good time to hang in for the first time in his life. So um, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, after that race, he didn't get worked. He came straight home and, and went in the paddock. So it, just to forget about all that. But otherwise, no, can't exactly put my finger on what would have caused him to want to not steer that night. Well, he ran fifth, didn't he, in the derby? Yeah, yeah, he should have run third, but he, Adam couldn't pull him out to, to go where the horse that ran third ran and said he had to wait for it to go by before he could get going. So he, he got off the horse on the inside of him about 50 metres before the line. Otherwise, yeah, no, he was going to go. He was going to go good and then, yeah, that just happened. All right. Well, that's sure thing, Captain. A few of the other big boys in the stable that I want to talk about. Now, at the trials yesterday, we had a standalone trial session at Albion Park. Firstly... Speak the truth. This guy is untapped. He finished third behind Hot and Treacherous, the star Kiwi import, and Future Assured. They went a mild rate of 152.7. But I'm tipping you would have been very happy with what you saw with Speak the Truth. Yeah, no, it went really good. I said to Adam, I said, oh, I said um, we, we probably got them a little bit fitter than what we usually have them when we, we front up at the trials. So, uh, you know, to go like that was very good. Um, you know, like his time was as good as he's ever gone and he's, that was his first go off the property since May last I actually tried in July last year but his first go since he'd raced in, in May last year so he um, yeah no he went really well and pulled up really good from it so I was very happy with that mm. The fact that he was able to run the gate and, and, and then you know sit hard on the back of Hot and Treacherous and he only blew out in the last 100 metres would that be fair? Yeah yeah Adam said he just got tired yeah. the last 50 otherwise he was he was really good. He was still there, but yeah, his condition obviously told out, so that was to be expected. So all roads heading towards the Hayden, the slot race during the carnival. Yeah, yeah, that's. Um, he's got a few races before then. Um, I haven't actually had a look at the the programming to pick out exactly what, but yeah, the Hayden's the the main one because uh, we actually bought uh, slot number ten in that for him. So 
he'll be going aiming for that on the 15th of July. Okay, so he'll have another trial? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll just see where he's at and what there is um, for him being a, a 76 NR. Um, sort of makes it tricky. You've got a he's too high to go back into the lower grades, but he's also too high. Um, where he has to go up to 90s and they struggle to stand up a bit. So exactly where I'm going to put him, I don't know yet. Okay. And the other one, the uh, the dual Group 1 winning trotter, Wee Man Trouble. He's a chubby little fella, but did trial well yesterday, going up against the Pacers, finished right on the back of the winner aphorism. Uh, quick last quarter, 27-3. You would have been happy with that work. Yeah, usually it takes a couple of trials to come back. As you said, he's a chubby little fella and he just does not lose weight. And for him to, to run as good a sectional, if not better than he's ever run at his first trial back in since August last year, is, is yeah, I was very happy with him. Okay, so touch wood, he's come through the trial well? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, obviously his leg's not exactly perfect, so he's a day-to-day, -day, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to try... Try he's um, working him a little bit differently and spend a, a bit more time off the track than on the track. So we'll see if that helps him a bit. Okay, well, good signs there with those two uh, big guns back at the trials yesterday. Four runners today and a couple of key chances as well. Race two, number four, more sats. One start for one win, this filly. She's a homebred. She's beautifully bred. Can she make it two for two? I think so, Chris. Like, you know, it's a... She's come up against a few of this opposition before. I mean, she's she's a lovely, well-mannered, um, versatile sort of filly. Um, she hasn't been, you know, we haven't got to the bottom of it yet. She's just doing everything she wants by herself. Her trial last week was really good. Adam was very happy with the way she finished off. So, you know, she's right where we want her to, you know, to make hopefully a clean, clean sweep of this series. Okay, so she pushes forward at the start here, hopefully finds top. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd be game to hold her out because she's, you know, got good gait speed and good manners. She'd be the one you'd want to sit on the back of. Okay. Uh, race 8 today, exciting times. Uh, can she go back to back? She won well here last time out. Can she do it again? Uh, tricky sort of a draw for her. I mean, she came from there last week, but there is one underneath her that has good gait speed, but in Princess um, Byline, but it took a sit last week on a on another three-year-old. I, I don't know whether it'll take a sit this week, but we'll just have to see, you know, what, what presents. That's up to Adam, but no, she's worked really well, so I expect a good showing from her as well. All right. Newcomer to the stable here, but he's got a, uh, a big, uh, loyal uh, fan base, a strong response, and he debuts for your stable. No trial. What are the expectations? <laughs> yeah, no, he's got a bunch of owners that love him to pieces, so he's he's <laughs> well he's well catered for there. But he's um no, no, when I got him he was a bit different, a um, bit of a different animal, but he's he's settled in really good and his his work's been acceptable for, you know, what what he is and uh we'll just see how he goes. Mitchell's driving him today for the first time, so you know, it's a learning experience for everybody, but he'll um he'll handle him fine and we'll just see see how he goes today. Okay. The last race, they think it's a race in two, but when you look at the betting, it's all about your guy here. Hold on to your bling. He comes out of that Sydney campaign. He went around in the heat of the derby last time out chasing home Catalpa Rescue. Uh, how fit is he, and uh, do you expect him to win here today? Well, we've had our track resurfaced about oh, four to six weeks ago when I was away, and um, we seem to be getting them a lot fitter to go back to the races and trials, as it showed yesterday with the, the new surface on it. So 
judging on his work, he's, he should be pretty forward. He's, he's one of those ones that comes to hand really quick. So <clears throat> there's no reason why he can't yeah, win that race. All right. The other one that I wanted to talk about today, because it's a, it's a big moment today, it's a big milestone. Lancelot Bromax, start number 500 today. You were the person that purchased this guy as a yearling at the sales in New Zealand many, many moons ago. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Chris. I was just saying to someone the other day, they all go on about Lance having all these race starts and everything, but nobody actually knows the, the previous history of the horse. And uh, when we went to the sales in New Zealand and I saw him in the catalogue and I said, this is the most beautifully bred horse in the catalogue. I said, we'll go and have a look at him. And anyway, he's a nicely put together little fella. And Scott and I were there and I said to um, I said to him, yeah, we liked him and that. Anyway, we paid 25000 for him. And a friend of ours over in New Zealand, she's actually a vet, she said, oh, she said, he's going to be a nice little horse if you just give him enough time. He's a little offset in one <laughs> knee. Just give him enough time and he'll he'll race on forever. So we, we didn't push him early. We gave him all the time that he needed and took him to the races and that. And he did a few things wrong, but oh, he was an absolute pain in the behind with his antics before his races, which Stewie says he still does now. And it just annoyed us so much when he won a race. We put him up for sale and said, oh, we can't deal with this horse anymore. So Stewie ended up buying him. And, yeah, the vet was right. If we looked after him, he'd race on forever, and he has. And Stewie, he just puts up with his antics, something I couldn't do and put on him. I'm happy, really happy for them to have done as well as what they have out of him. That's what the sport's all about. Leave something in mm. there for the next person. Yeah, absolutely. That first start for you was at the Gold Coast. And as we now know, the Gold Coast is not even operating anymore. It's defunct, <laughs> that racetrack. But that was on May 11, 2012. That's a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> isn't 11 just. years ago. <laughs> Shannon. Here he is, still going strong. Yeah. It's Steve. I've got a question for you. Obviously, Chris and I have spoken to you about Norwell. You're not that far away there. And at the moment, there's a consultation process taking place with Racing Queensland. Have you been contacted or, or put some feedback into Racing Queensland about what you'd like to see? Yeah, sure, sure have. Um, I'm actually on a panel there and we did the initial... Um, and there's a few other trainers and drivers, initial consultations about, you know, what... Everything from track surface to circumference and stabling areas and um, facilities, training centre and everything like that. We all put forward ideas and that and they've obviously done up sort of a, a plan that's being taken to everybody um, in harness racing and that and the general public to go through and see what they think of all the ideas that we've come forward with and then we can pick and choose and tinker with, you know, what, what other ideas people have to, to make the biggest mm -hmm. and best that there is. That people have seen so we can be number one okay well share can you share your thoughts with our listeners this morning what would you like to see <laughs> you got to spare a couple of hours <laughs> oh well tell us the main ones track no, circumference well, um, for example yeah well we're, we're, we're trying to make it sort of um well the circumference all that's still out there for debate but uh you know we, we've, we've come with ideas obviously small track racing is a thing of the past um menangle being the 1400 meters probably not a hundred and 10% the best track for, for spectators. Um, but there was um, ideas thrown out there for overcoming that with using cameras, you know, moving cameras like they do in the gallops on the back of the car, moving cameras on the inside so you're with the field the whole way. Um, just to, trying to make it so that it's a, a great spectacle for everybody. Um, stabling areas with more than an adequate stable so that everybody has enough room and special, you know, dedicated areas for stallions so that they're not having to stable next to mares. 
um, and, you know, room for leaving the gigs behind sort of security and that and quarantining areas for, you know, like if, if there's sick horses or if injured horses or something like that can be catered for, you know, with veterinary facilities. Um, then the on-track stabling and that, um, you know, dedicated barns that are only used for when interstate people come here for the carnival. So they've got places to go and have their own specific, you know, like uh, amenities and everything. So they're not sharing with other people. Um, all of that security and, you know, horse security and that. So, you know, if there is by chance another EI outbreak, you know, it can be controlled um, through lockdown and quarantines and that. Um, just and, and the training facilities and that, um, looking after the future of the sport so that everybody can, you know, afford to have a, a, a make a go of it and, and that and have good facilities that cost a lot of money to build themselves, whereas they can rent them and, and have, you know, some of the best facilities available. Mm, there's one here that uh, tweaked my interest when I was looking at the Racing Queensland website this morning, um, double or triple sprint lane. That's actually something that was put forward to... I've spoken to another uh, trainer driver about this many, many years ago. And if you think about it, you see a lot of horses on tracks without a sprint lane get held up. And the punters are always, oh, if it got out, it wins. Oh, I've done my money because I didn't get a clear run. But if you watch last Saturday at the Gallops, on the wet tracks, the leaders always tend to go four and five wide, which leaves the whole inside of the track open. Even though the inside of the track is wet, there is still an opportunity for many runners to go up the inside so everybody gets a clear run. Sort of like when they had the 1,000-metre straight racing at, at Flemington and that. The field pans and nobody gets bad luck. And, I mean, if you're a punter and you have a clear run and you're just not good enough, that's, that's how you lose or win, win your money. But when you're held up, you're hard done by. So as far as, you know, a, a larger sprint lane goes, it is something that could be worth trying. But again, if you can do the logistics of it by having the track so that you could have it um, move the pylon so, oh, you know, like we're going to try a triple sprint lane, but it doesn't work so we can close the track back up. Sort of like the movable rail at the, at the gallops and that. But as I said back to last Saturday in the wet, if you see the gallopers, they do have sometimes enough room up the inside for many runners. And a few of them take it there and not many get held up for a run. But it would be something taking a bit of uh, getting used to. But again, it could work as long as, you know, if you made it a 400-metre straight with a four-horse sprint lane, people from six-back defence can win, which might be a bit unlucky for some. But if you have a shorter straight, a 200-metre straight, and have it a wider sprint lane, it's still hard for those ones up the inside to make up that much ground in that amount of time. So it could probably work on a, on a shorter straight than a longer yeah, straight. Yeah, interesting. I've never heard of a triple. Chris, uh, or even chatting yourself, other countries, triple sprint lanes? No, not in harness uh, racing. It's usually only one, no. maybe two. Mm. But as oh, I said, in the gallops, you'll see them. Yeah, well, we don't have to <laughs> be... room for five. Yeah, we don't have to copy people, do we? You know, it's all about new nope. uh, ideas. And that's what we're trying to do. If anybody out there has any, any ideas that are a bit different or how to make things work... We're open to suggestions because of the um, wanting to create something that has, you know, tongues wagging and everybody wanting to, to watch and participate in it. Mm. Yep. All right. So the track, we're just not sure, but you're thinking, you know, bigger bigger than smaller. Um, yeah, somewhere between that. Albion Park and Menangle. Yeah, mm. the, the, the 1,000 and 1,200 metre 
sort of um, marker, I'm guessing it could be around that. But they're also looking at introducing shoot racing. They were trying to do the logistics of that so that it was more of a, uh, like only a one-corner race, like over the mile. So you would have like a uh, an eight or uh, probably a 1,000-metre run into the first corner and then you just turn like an L-shape and then down the home straight for a few hundred metres. So it's only one corner, which would be completely different for drivers to learn how to drive. It's like Menangle, you know, having been racing down there, talking to drivers that drive it, like there's no place to hide down at that track. And that'd be the same, like if you have a track with a 1,000 metre run into the first corner, like what do you do then? Like <laughs> it's going to be completely different for everyone to learn how to drive it. It would just change driving, Chris, wouldn't it? So much what Shannon was saying, if they did introduce something like that with those sprint lanes, as Shannon said, you know, if you're normally on one that's through the fence, you almost want to throw your ticket on the ground or four fence, but it mightn't be a bad place to be. It'd be really interesting, wouldn't it, just to watch racing with that with those lanes well, and how you drive so differently. Well, either scenario, really, whether we're going like with the shoot or we're going with those double or triple uh, sprint lanes, uh, I think it'd be a, a major shock to a lot of drivers, but uh, hopefully that, you know, they'd get used to it fairly quickly and, um, you know, it'd be uh, quite revolutionary in, in the way we race here in Queensland. The other thing that they might have to look at doing too is, you know, as you said, with everybody learning how to drive it and that is um, there would have to be some new rules implicated, you know, by the stewards into it with, you know, who can and can't go where and, and that at any time because, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, like does the horse behind the leader have the right to take the whole sprint lane or does it have to maintain its position of, you know, like only one to the inside of the leader and three back the same because that's something we've got to look at because, you know, here the first horse to the sprint lane is usually the one behind the leader and it has, you know, sort of right of way to use the sprint lane and if you want to go up the inside of that one and there's not much room, well then, you know, you, you sort of don't have right of way. So there probably have to be a few new rules, rules written on how to use it. And with the stabling on course, uh, 10 to 20 boxes per barn and about 150 total, is that right? Yeah, well, that's people have got to put forward their interest because we're not just going to go and build, you know, oh, look, here's 300 stables for everybody and only have interest for, to fill 50 of them because, like anything, it all costs money to run and you've got to have the staff and the machinery and all that sort of stuff to, to do everything. And, I mean, being stables at Menangle before, there are always short staff down there as far as getting all the jobs done because it's not just a you know, dragging and watering the track. It's also the maintenance on the property. It's also the mowing and the and the weed, you know, the weeds and the whippersnippering and everything like that to make everything, you know, A1 and the picking up of the manure from the stables. And, That'd be my and job. Removing <laughs> that, yeah. you know, in the bins down there. So, you know, there's, there's lots of lots of different, you know, aspects to it and and, and that sort of thing. But as, as I've said, like I've spoken to a few people when people have said, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, you're only 15 minutes from the north end of the Gold Coast and, and 20 minutes out of, you know, like the south of Brisbane. I said, it's not that far to travel if, you know, people are looking for jobs and, and or if you want to buy yourself a, um, you know, a, a nice little waterfront condo or, you know, rent a unit down at the Gold Coast. You're only 20 minutes from the track and you've got the lifestyle of the Gold Coast. So, you know, there's there's... Plenty of opportunities if you just let the mind wander. Interesting stuff, Shannon. We'll catch up with you again, obviously, uh, over time to just get another update on the new track at Norwell. Thanks for that. No worries. And Shannon Price joining us. Uh, Chris, you're, you're, you're about to talk to a guy that's got a horse that's lining up for Start 500 today. Well, and, and he's in a, a very exclusive club as a result, Steve, because no thoroughbred 
and he'll become the first standard bred to achieve this feat. 500 race starts. The race is named in his honour that he's going around in today. It's race number five on the program, and this is the happy 500th start, Lancelot Bromac. So 500 starts. He has now surpassed the previous record, which was held by another Queenslander in Destreos. So uh, he's had a lot of racing, but he's had a, a lot of success as well. 33 wins, 133 placings. He's banked more than $376,000. So that's an average of 750 bucks every time he goes around, Steve. So it's quite uh, amazing, the longevity of the standard bred horse. And who knows, he's a last starter runner-up. Can he go one better on this big milestone occasion today? Let's ask the man that is the co-owner of Lancelot Bromack, a friend of... Both of ours, Steve, Mitch Manners, and he's online with us now. Mitch, appreciate the time. Morning, Chris. Morning, Steve. No, I don't talk to him anymore, Chris. You got the wrong mail. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> only stirring you, Mitch. Mitch, with Lancelot Bromack, I touched on it this morning when he flattens out. He's he's like a horizontal line when he puts his head down. Yeah, no, he's he's sort of got a unique style, and it was interesting to, to hear uh, Shannon talk about his uh, younger days when, when obviously they had him as a two-year-old and went through the process, Nathan and, and Stu broke him in and they, they actually didn't mind him talking to to uh, to Stu's son-in-law, Nathan, about him a, a while back of, you know, the process with him and they, they didn't mind him when they were breaking him in, but obviously Shannon was, was training him and he, he went back there and he, he's a quirky horse, there's no doubt about it. It's, um, he's, uh, you know, he'll do the same characteristics again today when gearing up for start 500 like he did you know, 150 runs ago and 200 runs ago, he's um, he's very much a race day horse. He knows when it's when it's game time, and um, I think he's he's probably getting a little bit crankier at home. Lorraine, Sue's wife, would say that too, but um, he's uh, he's been a lot of fun. And I got to say, with the draw that we've got today, I wouldn't mind that uh, triple sprint lane in operation because I think we'll probably end up four pegs. <laughs> Chris, Chris, how many times have you called him, Chris? Well, I know that he's had 465 starts at Albion Park. Um, yeah, I reckon I've, I've seen him a few times. But the, the amazing thing is, just one of the, the little stories about Lancelot Bromack, he goes into stall number 43 here at Albion Park. He, he would get off the float and walk himself into the stabling enclosure and park himself in stall number 43. He's done it that many times. So he knows Albion Park by the back of his hand. He's only won, what, one race away from Albion Park, and I think that was down at the Gold Coast. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Mitch. Yeah, no, he, he, he won a race at uh, the old old Parkman's track, and I'm pretty sure if he, with the uh, sort of videos that they're doing about him going into his 500 start, I'm fairly sure you, you called him winning that, that two-year-old race at, at the coast as well, and Paul Bugger, he just can't win one at Redcliffe. I, I said to Stu once, I'd love to win a race at Redcliffe, because we just haven't been able to achieve it, but the the tight turning triangle practice doesn't suit him. Obviously, he needs time to wind up. And, um, you know, the, the tougher the last quarter is, the more stronger he is. And that's why it's sort of a, a barrier one or a barrier eight that we've got today it never really suits him because he's got terrible gate speed. And, um, you know, he'll be probably struggling to hold the ones back early. So, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll need a, a slice of luck today because I, I think, you know, the way that, he sort of gets out of the gate, he'll probably end up three, four back the inside and we'll just need some things to open up for us so we can get going. But he was good last week. He's, he's racing as well as what he can at the moment. 
Um, you know, he's probably found his mark again at this sort of grade. And that sort of horse, too, like when he's won one race and gets up a grade, he, he can win one sort of five or six runs later, and that keeps us going and keeps us sort of um, keeps the momentum going for the horse. And Chris is right, of, you know, he's, he's been a terrific, um, terrific money spinner for the you know, a couple of years that I've owned him for sure. And um, I, I didn't sort of think too much about the 500 start. Probably more so the record. When we got to the record, I thought there might be something like today. But um, we sort of surpassed the record and, and the, the beat-up, uh, the, the build-up to the 500s being, you know, it's sort of a pinch-yourself moment that we've, uh, we've been able to achieve. But certainly didn't set out to do it. There's no... You know, Stu didn't ring me up and say, we're going for 500. It's, it's just happened. We've, we've rolled with him every week. He keeps pulling up well. He's been racing well his last, you know, handful of starts in this sort of grade. And, you know, feel we feel like he's close to winning one. Um, and, and last week was sort of one that almost almost happened for us. So um, until he says no, well, then, you know, that, that that's when we'll pull up. But, again, I, I you know, if they design Norwell like Albion Park, it might uh, might inc- increase the longevity of the horse by a couple of years. If they design Norwell like Redcliffe, I know we'll be retired. <laughs> tell me this, though. You took part of the ownership of Lancelot Bromac back in February 2020. So you took over from Pete Draney, who raised him for, for many, many years. Just going back to that first start, so that was May 11, 2012. You're only a young fella, Mitch. You're, you're on the Gold Coast now. Were you old enough to own a horse when he had his first start back then? Um, probably not, <laughs> to be honest. So <laughs> I, um, I, I, I did follow him when Stu had him for a number of years, and obviously I've got, got to know Stu quite well. We were family friends. Uh, prior to, to me sort of coming up through the ranks in my race calling days as well. I was going to the trots as five, six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old. Eight, eight the last person to get kicked out was Stu and Dad at Pace Centre's Bar and Norm Taylor. Um, those those days, you know, kids under 18 aren't allowed in bars anymore. So I'm pretty thankful that the childhood childhood memories that I've got of uh, Pace Centre's Bar and nights at the trot you were able to do. But... Um, um, I think Stu would be in the first and that'd be him. And next time you'd see him, he'd still be there at the last at the, at the trots and Nathan would drive home. Um, so that, those, those memories were good. And, and I got to, got to sort of know Stu quite well. And, and he approached me, I, I was up on holidays in Brisbane and he said, oh, I think Peter's going to pull out of him. He's, um, he, he wasn't well at the time, Pete. And, um, you know, the, horse and probably, you know, his Saturday night days were probably behind him as a metropolitan class horse, so and Pete was sort of uh, focused on younger horses, so, and then a couple of days later, Stu rung me up and said, oh, we're, we're going through with it, do you want to go 50-50 and, you know, have a look back since, and he he didn't take long to win one, uh, he won a Perseverance pace on a Saturday night with Danielle Beavers in the in the gig, and I thought, oh, well, we've won our race with him, and it'll be Sort of that that was it and i think i've won about eight or nine with him now so number of seconds and thirds is his record suggested a bloody number of fours too chris so, uh, i thought he run third the other week too and it had ha- happened to be fourth but, but um you know he, he's um as i said we go to the races and it's not necessarily win or lose for us it's just making sure that he 
pulls up well, runs well, and gives us a reason to go again the following week. So where does he sit in the world with 500 starts? Has anyone done any research? Well, it's a record for down under. Uh, there's no question about that across both codes, thoroughbreds and standardbreds. So this is the first time a horse has raced 500 times. I, I wanted to ask this question. It's a little trivia one for, for Mitch, just to see how well he knows Lance. Who do you reckon has had the most success as a driver behind Lancelot Bromack? Oh, uh, Pete McMullen, I would say. He, Correct. He, Pete, yeah, Pete, Pete won a lot of races on him early. Um, he's probably suited more so to the to the young drivers now, like Angus, who are a little bit more patient with him early. Like early on, he he sort of showed uh, he, he never really showed much gate speed, but he he, he sort of copped a, a tough drive and, and Pete suited him really well that he could get stuck into him a fair way out and he'd, he'd respond. And just as he's got a bit older, that sort of softer trip, you know, like saying that he was three wide, no cover a couple of weeks ago and not beaten ahead ahead. He can sort of do it on the with the right tempo. But um, Angus and Danielle have had good success. Nathan Dawson's been a, uh, had good success on him as well. And, Every now and again, Stu doesn't mind changing up drivers with him because he's such a cagey old bugger, the horse, um, that, you know, a different set of hands on him can, can sometimes uh, weave some magic. So um, always going to try and trick him up from time to time because he's such a creature of habit. And like you said, Christian just gets straight off the float and walks straight in without even Stu telling him where to go because he's done it so many times. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, 500 race starts today. Uh, great stuff. We'll see you trackside today. Yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for the support and also Albion Park Harness Racing Club to to uh, to go out of their way to, to make the day special for us. And, um, you know, with a slice of luck, hopefully runs well for us. And that's, um, you know, and that's all we can hope for.